Welcome to the Brand Spanking New Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. It has been a wild world this week in sports. From arguably the greatest Hall of Fame class in the history of professional basketball, to the NFL releasing their biggest schedule ever, to the NBA saying that they're going to take a hard look at the unnatural shooting motions of Trey Young and James Harden. Yeah, right. I'll believe that when I see it. Next, I bet you're going to look into flopping. Sure you are. First and foremost, the Christian diva known as Tim Tebow is officially on the signing radar for the Jacksonville Jaguars. At least that's what Urban Meyer reiterated on a podcast this week, saying that he hasn't made up his mind yet, but he is strongly considering bringing him on the roster for this upcoming season. This has made a large number of analysts, current and former players, irate that the Jaguars are giving up a roster spot for a player who doesn't even belong in the NFL anymore at all. On the surface, this move looks sketchier than a giant ball pit in a children's playground at a McDonald's in Reno. But maybe there's something deeper that the rest of us are missing. Perhaps Urban is using Tebow to be a mentor for Trevor Sunshine Babyface Lawrence? Like the big brother, maybe? The steady rock of ages that Lawrence never had growing up? The reliable stallion he can look up to in times of peril? Some people turn to religion, others to meditation, the worst of us to binge-watching Grey's Anatomy. Maybe Urban just wants Sunshine to have someone in the locker room who he probably believes is a member of the Holy Trinity. As much of a mentor that Tebow can be, Meyer and the rest of the Jaguars front office have to realize that Sunshine's priorities for his rookie season are not going to be looking to start a fundamental Christian revival in the Deep South. Rather, they'll be adapting to an NFL-style offense and not getting his leg broken off by J.J. Watt in Week 2. Tebow may be able to Bible-thump like Joel Osteen and Jimmy Swaggart, but he has no idea how to navigate the pocket and sidestep the oncoming pass rush. I mean, the guy hasn't played professional football since the Hunger Games was in theaters and Gangnam Style was the number one hit on Spotify. Come to think of it, I don't even think Spotify was really a thing the last time Tebow took a snap. Someone has got to step in and tell this kid that the apex mountain of Tebow mania is already in the rearview mirror. Yes, he was an icon for the sport of college football and won two national championships for the Gators. And yes, he did make an NFL roster, which is something that every kid dreams about from a young age. The guy even got to win some starts for the Broncos and even beat the Steelers in a playoff game. But then reality settled in, and scouts realized that his windup is slower than Betty White's reflexes. And even though he tries to emulate Stone Cold Steve Austin by painting John 316 underneath his eyebrows, there's only so far that scriptures can take you. The American people wanted touchdowns. They wanted action. They wanted points on the scoreboard leading to Super Bowls. They didn't want fishes and loaves night at Mile High Stadium and the halftime show being music and the spoken word. Even after his NFL career came to an end, he persisted, saying that the Almighty came to him in a vision and told him that he would be playing professional baseball for the New York Mets. And so we all lived through that, watching B-level footage of Tebow catching fly balls for their AAA affiliate for three years, never even getting a sniff at the big leagues. Now, I'm no Joseph wearing some amazing Technicolor dream coat or anything, but it's not hard to interpret that Major League pipe dream as some far-fetched fantasy outside of the real dose of reality. Look, we all have hopes and dreams and ambitions. I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid and drive a car in space, but that came to a screeching halt when I read my birth certificate at age five and saw that my name wasn't Elon Musk. At some point for all of us, we will have a parental figure tell us that while yes, we are the most incredible 37-year-old they've ever met, we still need to move on with our life and give up the dream of being a professional World of Warcraft player. Whether it's Urban Meyer, his wife, or even the voice of God himself, 
Someone has to tell Tebow to grow up and move out. In the NBA, the debate about Russell Westbrook's goatness continued to rage on this week after Westbrook recorded his 182nd triple-double of the season, breaking the 46-year record held by Oscar Robertson. While, yes, the accomplishment certainly shows the athleticism and competitive nature of Westbrook, it also shows how meaningless it was when the stat patter badly missed the game-winning shot and the Wizards stayed in 10th place. The final play pretty much sums up his entire career in a nutshell. Outrageous talent. Unbelievable athleticism and competitiveness, but a glorified ball hog when it matters the most, making a stupid decision to shoot a fadeaway while being double teamed when there's a wide open hole netto at the top of the key. Now everyone is talking about how he's next in line as the second best point guard of all time, and debates fought back and forth on whether he was better than the all-time leader in assisted steals John Stockton or two-time MVP Steve Nash. The NBA media are funny how they pick and choose what metrics to measure the game by. Triple doubles, titles, MVPs, playoff wins, all of those things are what constitute in their eyes as evidence of a great player. But why aren't we looking beyond the metrics at the overall value of a player? For instance, John Stockton and Steve Nash didn't break the all-time record for triple doubles in their careers, but at the same time, they weren't monumental ball hogs and stat mongers to everyone in the locker room and then in turn alienated fans watching the games and the media that covered them. Yeah, sure, they're not sexy or marketable or athletic phenoms wowing us with their presence. I mean, one of them is Canadian for crying out loud. Try selling that. But they're also not a walking migraine who make everyone walk on pins and needles around them. Sure, Westbrook is an all-timer, but when you feel like you're sharing a locker room with Sideshow Bob, that has to be something to think about when you're putting him in the GOAT spotlight. Also this week, the NBA wrapped up its regular season on Sunday night with one of the worst endings possible as the ever-tanking Los Angeles Clippers, loaded with the roster of players impersonating Charlie Bucket's grandparents by always needing, quote, bed rest, a.k.a., quote, load management, lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that has gone 1-23 and over the last 24 games, having the greatest scoring deficit in the history of basketball and have completely given up on the league so they can just increase their chances of a better draft pick in the summer. This is why no one is watching the NBA. This is why people don't care for the divas on the basketball court. Because in prime time, on the last day of the season, you have one team who just aren't able to handle playing basketball full-time for a living, and they need to rest their bodies that have been sculpted from the slopes of Mount Olympus. On the other side, you have a team that has literally quit competing because they want to improve their chances at a better draft pick that will hopefully get them past the first round of the playoffs in 2028. This is what is wrong when you spoil whiny divas who will cry until they get their way. This is the product of coddling, Adam Silver, and it is all on you. In baseball, everyone's favorite Moneyball team, the Oakland A's, made headlines this week when they informed the city and Major League that they would begin looking at relocating their franchise to a setting that actually cares about them. This comes after the city of Oakland has refused to build them a stadium, even though it's been falling apart since before Mark McGuire was ever actually introduced to steroids. There are plenty of suitors out there who would love the poorest team in all professional sports to just show up at their doorstep. If they do move, it would be interesting to see what they would rebrand themselves as nickname-wise, as people do get a little perturbed when the team doesn't match the surroundings. Look at the anti-Utah Jazz cult that follows the NBA. Yeah, we know Louis Armstrong didn't get his musical inspiration from the pioneer handcarts navigating the Rocky Mountains, 
but it's been 40 years since they've been in Utah. Give it a rest. If they do decide to rebrand, it should just have to make sense. Like, for instance, if they move to Houston, they would probably need to rebrand their nickname to be the Unathletics, as it's the most obese city in the country and the proud home of my 600-pound wife. Sticking with the subject of team mascots and nicknames, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Antonio Brown pled no contest on Friday to felony charges of burglary and assault after throwing a rock at a moving company's truck, stopping the vehicle, forcing his way into the driver's side, and then hitting the driver. Interestingly enough, two of Brown's three last teams have been the Raiders and the Buccaneers, which apparently shows that the only thing he learned while wearing their jerseys was how to be a modern-day pirate. If I were the judge over his case, rather than sentence him to a 1,000 hours of community service for trying to be a contemporary Jack Sparrow, I would force his agent to work out a trade sending him to play for the Saints. Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson made a statement this week that he would be settling with the massage therapist who were accusing him of sexual misconduct. The rebuttal from all 22 of them was, uh, we do not agree with the terms and conditions of this contract. In a related note, the Ohio State University also came out this week banning a massage therapist from their campus for instigating inappropriate sexual contact with the football team. All right, enough is enough. Can we just ban massage therapy altogether and leave that to the fancy chairs you find in airports that cost eight bucks for a five-minute session? At least we know at that point the chair won't misinterpret the raised eyebrows you give it when it's working on your tailbone. I don't know why this is shocking news to anyone. When have you ever seen the words massage therapist in a news story headline without the accompanying phrase sexual assault charges? Never. You never see that. You never read local massage therapist starts up boys and girls club for underprivileged children in Chicago or massage therapist discovers genome that helps prevent prostate cancer. No, it's always something risque and frisky like massage therapist sends inappropriate emojis leading to scandalous affair with politician or massage therapist throws carnally promiscuous Woodstock party in the woods with everyone dressed up as their favorite rodent. It's never, ever positive for them. I feel like at this point, if anyone is going to become a licensed massage therapist, they also need to minor in legal studies or even better, pass the bar exam for whatever state they decide to practice. Well, yes, your dream career may be to set up your own massage parlor in a strip club in Portsmouth called Happy Endings. I feel like anytime we hear the words massage therapist, we know that's just a forecast for a disgusting barrage of legal proceedings. From this point on, if you make it your life's work to put your bare hands on another person's naked hind cheeks, the least you can do is have a paralegal sitting in the room taking notes during your session. At least one of you will have a hands-off approach in those sessions. Tom Brady came out and says he doesn't seem to think that the Dallas Cowboys deserve to be called, quote, America's team. Well, Tom, you're right. If we're going by definition of America's team, then no NFL franchise really fits that mold. America's team is either an entire squad of both literal and figuratively offensive linemen holding a shotgun in one hand and a Bible in the other while screaming out obscenities supporting the anti-vax movement. Or they're a veganite group of bench warmers wearing hazmat suits, holding participation trophies in one hand and a PETA pamphlet in the other, screaming out obscenities that minimum wage needs to be raised so that we can all drive Priuses. Neither of those personify the Dallas Cowboys, a random group of misfit toys led by Darth Vader's little brother. So yeah, Tom, you are 100% right in this case. And finally, former drug addict turned thoroughbred Kentucky Derby champion Medina Spirit took third in the Preakness on Saturday. Well, that's what happens when racing officials don't let your trainer Hector Salamanca into the facility, and they also ban you from getting your pre-race meal from Los Pollos Hermanos. 
Meth has consequences, Medina Spirit, plain and simple. So what did we learn this week? Well, we learned that even if you have given your life, mind, and spirit to modern-day Christianity, John chapter 3, verse 16 will not help you pass block Miles Garrett. We learned that Antonio Brown secretly wants to be a pirate, even though that career choice has been outlawed since the Black Plague. We learned that even if you average 20 points, 12 assists, and 11 rebounds for four years straight, it doesn't mean that you're a great team player, especially when you haven't made it out of the first round in six years and your current team is getting ready for the play-in game. And finally, we learned that while massage therapists may have the best intentions, they really should learn the law like Saul Goodman before they ever go into business. That's our show. I definitely will be back next week. Unlike Marv Albert, I'm going to miss all the jokes about him biting people in the back. I'm sure there are plenty of massage therapists who will miss him too.